The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. And it came upon a BW3 clear that the big game has come and gone. But fear not, faithful listener. Our coverage is just now here for your listening pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the kickoff here on the W2M Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the down since day one co-host turned executive producer, Brandon Biscabing. It was a fun Super Bowl. Just slow your roll, homie. The executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins. The one game I'm glad I didn't bet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, believe me, we'll talk about your performance in that a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. And and the chairman of the W2M Network, Jason Teasley. Show me the money that I won. Well, if we would have actually had like a physical bet on this, you would have won. You know what, since everybody's bringing it up, we might as well go ahead and open it up here. I won $200. Oh, you actually You yes. actually did bet on it? Okay, well then, yes. congratulations. Well done. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Ginger Thomas Parlay over here. Why couldn't you send some of that mojo my way? <clears throat> because so you're did, the yang, my yang. Fair. So we did a 20-bet prop bet for the Super Bowl here, and since we've all kind of brought it up here, we're going to go ahead and lead off the show with the discussion of this, even though I was going to save this for after our discussion of the game. And only one of us managed to get more than half of them correct. Coming in at 57.5%, that is 11 correct, 8 wrong, 1 push. Your prop bet winner for the WTM Network kickoff Super Bowl prop bet contest, the chairman, Jason Teasley. What was the one push? Uh, fair catches and returns on punts. Oh, okay. Um, that's just two things I beat you at this year, Harry. <laughs> Bills beat the Giants. Fuck it. Yeah. Well, no, it's year. So, so did, did did Eric continue his trend of being dead last? Yep. <laughs> uh, well, Eric, I actually gave you a little bit less credit than I should have. I said you got one right. I actually went back and redid the math. You got three correct. Yay. That's <laughs> like, again, and I didn't roll a nat one. I rolled a three. Whoopie doo. <laughs> I didn't swing and hit myself in the head with anything. How did I, we do, Harry? I got seven correct. You got nine correct, Brandon. Okay, so I did pretty well. Um, all of us called the fact, well, except for Brandon, Brandon actually got it wrong. We did not see a court, the Cody Parkey special, although Steven Guskowski came super freaking close in that first quarter. Yes, he did. <laughs> I was, I was hoping it was going to doink just a bit. It, it came, I, I don't think you could have fit Tom Brady's toupee between where that football landed and the goalpost. <laughs> I'm just saying. A uh, couple of big bits that we did get correct here on the show. I correctly called the highest scoring quarter of the fourth. 
Jason lands the MVP correctly, Julian Edelman. Brandon gets arguably the toughest bet to get correct, the first player to get into the end zone. And ironically enough, the only player to get into the end zone, <laughs> Sony Michelle. Yep. None of Eric's correct answers were especially impressive. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I knew once Gladys Knight and I had timed that national anthem. As soon as I dropped my first f bomb, I'm like, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> Depending on who you ask, Gladys Knight went anywhere from two o five to two twenty. The over under was set at a minute and fifty. Definitely the over. <laughs> I think we all picked the over, didn't we, on that one? No. Nope. Oh, except for Eric. One of us didn't. <laughs> she could. She had to draw out three damn notes in the last verse of the song. I was doing just <laughs> fine until she decided to do God no. This is the Super Bowl we're talking about. Everything's <laughs> drawn out. Your point? <laughs> My point is that you should have known this. His point is that you were wrong, <laughs> yep. My point is the fact that she normally sings faster. And again, three drawn out notes right at the very end. Had she sung those at the exact same pace she sang the rest of the damn song, I would have hit the under I would have been smiling, and I wouldn't have had the urge to throw things before kickoff. But no! Okay, so there's a little bit of controversy. I just like saying the British pronunciation of that. The English pronunciation is controversy. Uh, as far as the actual scoreline of the game goes, because technically the closest person in scoreline was me. I said seven. I also had the Rams winning, therefore I was ineligible. <laughs> so Brandon got it with a 14-point difference, despite Price's right rule saying that he was over. <laughs> yes, I know I was over. Did did any of us get the uh, the takeover uh, thing correct, or not takeover uh, halftime heat? I mean, uh, we all got the correct pin team. None of us had a. Uh, none of us had Cole eating the fall. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the game now that we've covered our prop bets and stuff. And thanks to everybody for participating in that. That was a little bit. We're, we're gonna have to bring that back for next year. Oh, definitely. That was fun. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about the game itself here. Defensive struggle, if there ever was one. Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. You're kind of the historian on this channel. Lowest scoring Super Bowl in NFL history. Yes. You're, you're indeed correct. The 16 total points broke the record set by Super Bowl seven. The Dolphins beat the Redskins 14-7. So you had the lowest scoring, and the Patriots now hold the record fewest points by a Super Bowl winner, needing only 13. It, it was funny. Um, at halftime, Tori said, she was like, this is a... This is the lowest scoring Super Bowl I've ever seen. I've never seen, and she was like, "I've never seen a first half or a first quarter where no one scored." And I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, "This is probably the lowest I've seen." And sure enough, it was the lowest period. So it was funny. Lowest? You know what I was looking up? I think second lowest scoring first half. I think it 
Williams in the seventies was a two. That was a two nothing at half. Oh, okay. I thought I thought I saw that it was a lower scoring half, but I guess not. Go ahead, I Jason. Up, I was looking up if a punter could win MVP at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, it was close. It, it's one of those things where it's like the three stars of the game in hockey, and it's mm-hmm. one nothing. Both of the goalies are the star, and then the guy who scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact: the halftime score of the game was actually NXT six Maroon five. <laughs> that wasn't even funny. Yes, that wasn't even that wasn't even a good dad joke. Oh, oh, spe- speaking of Maroon Five, even though I didn't watch it, but apparently I heard it. They completely trolled everyone, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't watch it because I was that was the one thing the one thing I was kind of looking forward to. Was there were rumors that they were going to do Sweet Victory, a la Spongebob. Um, but they never did it, apparently. At least, there that's what I heard. There was a Spongebob moment with the intro, but I was already behind using the halftime show to catch up, so I didn't have to pay attention. Although well, Janet Jackson is pissed. If everybody that bet Harder to Breathe is the first song that they would perform... Kudos to y'all, because that paid out at 9-1. to one. <laughs> Well, Janet Jackson's pissed. Everybody threw a fit over her showing one nipple. Adam Levine shows two, and the world goes crazy <laughs> in excitement. Well, it's just like the battle of Instagram. You see male nipples run rampant, but one female shows a nipple, and oh no, everybody nipples got are useless. <laughs> nipples are useless. Why does guys have nipples? As a matter of fact, the reason why men have nipples is because if you look internally, once we are formed in the womb, we all start out as female because there is a delay in the formation of the Y chromosome. Thus, that's why men have nipples. Still makes no sense. Damn, Eric bringing out the uh, biology info here. (laughs) Well played, sir. That's only because Eric knows he was a female because he diddled himself. Line the womb. But that's family show, so we can't discuss that. <laughs> I know that some bitch didn't just step on my line. Oh, yes, oh he did. did. No, I, I crossed that line. So, you know, because I own you this season. So, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let's go ahead and touch at this one. All right. So, let me ask you a question, Jason. Let's get actually back to the game here. Uh, let me ask God. you. What? What what is it that made you decide that you were going to pick Edelman for your MVP, and what specifically about Edelman's performance stood out to you that made you think uh, that he deserved the MVP honors? Well, honestly, um, I know Edelman is Brady's go-to guy in any clutch situation. I figured it was going to be a lot of third-down conversions. We all know that when you see third-down, you locate Edelman on the – on your, uh, wherever he's lined up, and you need to throw two people on him because Brady's highly unlikely to look somewhere else. Reason why I wanted him because, you know, I think it was a given that Brady was going to throw him the ball. He's the only, Gronk has been off his game tremendously. He has flashes of brilliance, 
you see some old Gronk, but he's lost a couple of steps. He's not the Gronk of old. Outside of that, the only other receiver was James White that you could actually rely on if you're Brady. But the relationship between uh, Brady and Edelman is just something that he, you haven't seen since Wes Welker was in New England. Um, why I think he deserved the MVP and why he won it, in my opinion, is because he was clutch. He was Brady's go-to guy. Yeah, I think he had like 10 catches for 147 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Somewhere in that realm. I think it was 11. What, what, Eric? 10 for 142. I No, I think I I remember seeing the 147 number, but I think it was on 11 catches. Let me check ESPN real quick. Okay, because if they did, then they gave him another five-yard catch. So, so quick little uh, question for you guys. Not really off-topic, but, you know, looking ahead. Especially with the Patriots winning the Super Bowl and with how Gronk played in said Super Bowl, do you think he's done or do you think he comes back? No, he already mentioned that with he's going to decide within a couple of weeks, I think that means he's leaning towards retirement. Be it movies, I, be it whatever, but and he's done. I'd like to think that he's leaning towards retirement because this season proved that there's not a whole lot left in the tank. But that being said, he did show up his biggest on Sunday. It was easily the most impressive performance we've seen from Gronk, especially this entire postseason, at least. Mm-hmm. I think Gronk had like seven catches in like 90 yards. He had he was six of seven for 87 yards. Edelman. So, Edelman was 10 of 12 for 141. Told you. Okay, so 14 yards a catch for Edelman, which means any time that Brady got the ball to Edelman, they were getting a first down. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because Edelman was the one receiver who was always, for some reason or another, even with that Rams defensive scheme left wide open. So they basically said, hey, you got Edelman, we'll give you Edelman, see if you can beat us that way, and well... They did. And at the very end, thanks to a tired defense and those 26-yard runs, and with Edelman, they did. Brandon, you picked Sony Michelle as the game's leading rusher, and he was. His, his stat line for the game, while I pull this up real quick in front of me to make my life a little bit easier, was 18 carries for 94 yards. So they almost had a 100-yard back and a 100-yard rusher here. Michelle also scored the game's only touchdown. Does this solidify the rookie spot in New England as the definite number one for next season? Oh, I would have to say so. I think they're still going to run a... They're still going to run a system offense with both him and James White. But... I think um, I think Michelle is definitely the definitive number one is and is going to get the vast majority of the carries next season. He's been great all postseason for them. Eric, you had TG30 as your MVP choice, and let's be honest here. Gurley had an awful performance in the Super Bowl. Ten carries, only 35 yards, and only the second game he's played in the mm-hmm. last and weeks of the NFL season. Did this Sunday prove that the Rams put too much on Todd Gurley's shoulders this season? Early on, yes. They realized the error of their ways more later in this season, and that's why 
if you look at the his last few weeks going into this run where he only where he really didn't play, he didn't have more than 18 carries. Now, as much as he said he was healthy, as much as the team said he's healthy, there's an underlying reason why he didn't get the ball. The first report after the game was saying, oh, he's not going to need off-season surgery. Well, why is that coming up if he's healthy? I really think there's something wrong, something that they're not addressing right away, and they're already setting themselves up as a security blanket with C.J. Anderson saying they want him back for 2019. A little bit of hyperbole from one of my friends that's an Eagles fan said that Jarrett Goff would be the third string quarterback on the Eagles this season behind both Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. Jarrett Goff was exposed on Sunday for the rookie quarterback that he is. He played just like a rookie. The problem is with Goff is that once they took away his running game, he was not ready to handle the handle the onus that fell on him, going 19 of 38 for only 229 yards with an interception. He was also sacked four times. Jason, Garrett Goff's quarterback rating was 13.4. To put that into perspective, Jim Kelly had a better quarterback rating in the game that Buffalo got blown out by Dallas. Where does Jarrett Goff go from here? The only way he plays he can go up. You can't get any worse. He, he had a, a horrible Super Bowl. It happens. They exposed him. He doesn't, regardless of what anybody wants to say, without Cooper Cup, that offense struggles in this passing game. You got Cup is a possession receiver, and he's he does a lot for that offense. Once his running game was absent, you know, he didn't have that possession receiver that can move the chains. Yeah, Reynolds stepped up earlier in this year. He was non-existent during the Super Bowl. Braden uh, Cooks, he had flashes of brilliance. But, you know, him and Woods, they had a couple of good catches, but they're easily blanketed. Plus, Belichick had two weeks to the scheme for this offense. It's golf just has to get it in. He needs more postseason experience. You can have all the regular season experience you want. Postseason experience is a lot different. <clears throat> With that being said, do I think the everybody complains? If the call would have been made in the Saints game it, and Breeze would have been there, this would have been a much better game. I disagree. I think Breeze would have got exposed as well. Going back to golf, golf, golf has the talent. I just think he needs a true number one to make that talent shine the way it's capable of. I mean, I, I said it from the beginning when we did the preview last week that I thought, you know, the Patriots are going to take an early lead in this game, which uh, they didn't all that early. But as soon as they did get the lead, then you saw Goff and his, and his youth and inexperience get to him, and, and the pressure really started to get to him, and that's what, you know, caused the Patriots to win. He's definitely going to learn from this. He's definitely going to improve from this, and I think he'll be back. 
and I think he will end up winning a Super Bowl at some point. But, you know, this, you know, his his youth really showed in this game. His youth issues with the offensive line that the Rams are now looking at that they have to fix, it was really a combination of things because once he got the pressure, even when there was none, he started feeling the pressure. That led to more scrambling. That led to errant throws. That led to holding on to the ball and more bad decisions. Now, it's going to be a bit of a road for him getting back, considering as how the division is setting itself up, at least for the next few years. But he's capable, and I think he's going to carry this with him and keep sharpening up. Now, if the Rams can fix everything around him, that would be even better. Speaking of pressure and 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 um, issues with uh, you know with the offense, what was it with the Patriots? And, and especially considering this is the Patriots, you would think they'd have all this down to to a science. What was up with them calling two timeouts early on in the first half? They've always been slow starters in the Super Bowl, always and. With everything that Bill Belichick did, cracking jokes about Wade Phillips' defense and all this and that, this was the first time all playoffs that you had a defensive line really get in Brady's face. And while they had simple coverages and more simple looks, they had ways to execute. So taking a page out of the Patriots playbook in a bit. We're going to take away a lot of your weapons, leave you with one or two, and you'll see what you can do with that that way. And for most of the game, it worked. The Patriots and Tom Brady were legitimately confused. I will say this much as far as the performance of the defenses in this game. I thought that both defenses actually definitely stepped their game up here, and it was definitely a throwback to the NFL of old. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about, about it many times on this show. Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. And this Patriots defense completely shut down Jarrett Goff, Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, and the rest of the, the high-potent Rams offense. I want to specifically talk about a couple of Patriots in particular. One, first of all, uh, kind of goes without saying, but our best wishes to a speedy recovery for Patrick Chung because that broken arm was disgusting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's set to have the surgery, I think, if he's had it already. And even though he's a Patriot, yes, get well soon. Second of all, Eric, you were kind of of talking about this with the the Jacksonville connection that you had with the the Rams with Dante Fowler Jr. Uh Uh-huh. I actually have a Buffalo connection in New England. I don't claim New England. I would never root for New England. But it is nice to see former Buffalo Bill Stephon Gilmore not only get a ring, but pick up an interception in the process. It's absolutely. The fact that he, going up against these Patriots, he knew it's like a lot of the tendencies, and he fit right in with the New England system. So at least one of our teams was able to get a ring somewhere this season. <laughs> Maybe the curse is finally broken, and we're due for one abject, batshit, crazy season where we end up on top. I don't know. (sighs) One could only hope, Eric. 
Well, hey, I mean, at least it's a, well, think of it at least this way. Number one, everybody's getting their Tom Brady Thanos memes out of their system now. Number two, this goes into a philosophy I've had for some time. Offensive games typically end on a defensive play. Offensive seasons end on a defensive game. Mm-hmm. This is going to continue to hold true. Well, yeah, I mean, this game really did prove the old axiom that defense wins championships. Because going into this game, I think all of us, some of you guys more than me, but we were all saying that this was going to be at least a relatively high-scoring game because Mm -hmm. of how potent both of these offenses are. And yet the axiom still holds true that these defenses, I think even more so in this game because of how powerful and how hyped up the offenses were going into these this game, the defense said, hey, we're not getting any love here, let's show them up. And that's exactly what they did. Of the four of us, the lowest scoreline was actually Jason's at 48. Mm-hmm. They scored a third of that combined. Yeah, we were all way off the under on this the game. The number of undertakers that creamed their pants. That <laughs> I saw, that's the only thing that I could think of as it went on and went on. I'm like, wow, you bet the under. <laughs> yeah, whoever I, bet I, I the bet under the on under. that game was. I took the under and I enjoyed it. Point. <laughs> He took the under and he liked it. Anyway, <laughs> the NFL early NFL power ratings on ESPN have come out and they have the, the Rams at the top of the list for the NFL power ratings for 2019. Eric, buy or sell? I, I'm going to buy just a little bit because, again, if you're talking about the best teams and how they're going to get out of the blocks, which Let's face it, these early power rankings really are. I think the Rams are going to get off to a fast start because, A, they're going to want to, and, B, they're really going to need to with Seattle and how they've revamped and rebooted, how San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo coming back and seeing what drama develops in the Bay. It, they're going to be a hotter team, whereas the Patriots, it's going to be the same Belichick mantra. You have your preseason in August, and then the Patriots preseason in September. By about October, Halloween, they figure things out, and off they go. Jason, buy or sell that the Rams are the uh, the favorites going into next season? I sell because I still think that they need experience. Too many question marks with Todd Gurley. Not a legit number one receiver to step up. So, honestly, I hate to say this. The team that I'm going to fear next year, God, I'm going to puke in my mouth saying this. I will not want to face the Chiefs. Mahomes having a year under his belt. Uh, They've shaken the playoff curse of Andy Reid somewhat. If they can can get a, a decent running back, they don't need a superstar. They just need a decent running back to take pressure off. I think Kansas City is going to be your your Super Bowl champion next year. Mm, that's, your high, 
That's your hot take. I believe year in it, advance. I believe it, ESPN has Kansas City third behind the Rams and the Saints. Brandon, buy or sell that the Rams are the favorites going into 2019. Yeah, I'm going to have to sell this as well. I think there's just way too many question marks with this team right now um, going into the 2019-2020 season. Um, honestly, even with the question mark of of Gronk and everything, and, you know, there there are some question marks there, but... I, I hate to say it because it's become a cliche and it's kind of funny that after all these years of saying, oh, will, when will they slow down? When will they slow down? It's finally getting to the point where it's like, I don't think they ever will. You have to put the Patriots up there. I mean, the only other team that I would say put a, a, at least near there, if not at the top, the other two, I would say, are, like Jason said, the Saints. Or, like Jason said, the Rams and the Saints. I I mean, personally, if I'm looking at, and even just with the AFC, I'm keeping my eye on three teams. The Patriots, Mm -hmm. because guess what? They've got a bunch of draft picks. They've got a bunch of draft picks later in the draft. That's when they are going to take their time and reload. I'm also going to keep my eye on the Chiefs to Mm -hmm. see if they can... So far, keep everyone together, keep things going, and build upon this playoff run. Not, not to mention that um, I think Let I finish, saw. Brandon. Okay. Well, yeah, and my third team that I'm really going to keep an eye on, and I said this even one of this season, the Colts. Nine draft picks, hundred million dollars, offensive line under contract. Andrew Luck healthy and bounced back. Can't stand them because they're in my division and they're going to whoop our ass twice next season. But I got to respect for how they're going to do and how Chris Ballard is going to really go all out in this draft. It wouldn't surprise me if you don't see them maybe fighting for a first round bye come December, January. The one thing okay, about the the one thing about the Chiefs that um, is going to be a big question mark. Um, I saw it being said that they may consider potentially, you know, depending upon what comes of it and everything, they may consider bringing back Kareem Hunt. It's possible. I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me given the running back market. It, It would be an intriguing situation. Do you think, here's an interesting question, and I mean, it's kind of ironic considering you're going from one problem to another, but do you think if they weren't go, weren't to get Hunt, would they consider going out after Le'Veon Bell? No. The general belief is that Le'Veon Bell lands in Miami. Hmm. Rather or not that happens, anybody's guess, but the general belief is that Bell lands in Miami. The question is uh, now with the Steelers is how is their complete revamp going to look with both Bell out now probably for good, and odds are, given the domestic situation that he's just incurred, congratulations on being a complete screw-up on this one. Antonio Brown might be on his way out the door in Pittsburgh as well. I think the Steelers are still good because 
Connors has shown this season that he is certainly a reliable back who will be able to fill in for Bell. And Juju Smith-Schuster has more than taken uh, uh, um, A.B. Yeah, A.B. There we go. Brown. Antonio Brown spot. So I, they, they'll, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. And besides, A.B. is going to be for one of the teams who will be spending next season in San Francisco. Which one will be a question mark? Go ahead, Jason. You were going to bring up a point a few seconds ago before I brought up the the uh, Steelers story. Go ahead. Well, well, to tie in with that, AB is also being tied to the Dolphins, and I think the Chiefs they couldn't afford Bell because Hunt would still be on his rookie contract where he wasn't getting paid, and Bell is looking to get paid. If Bell was wanting to go to a team and win. If he would be willing to take pay cut, I could see him going to Kansas City. True. But that is a very good point. If he's going actually. to a team that's going to win and take a pay cut, then he wouldn't have done anything with exactly, and he would have just stayed there. So, Well, there's there's a lot of – I'm hearing a lot of uh, different stories coming out why the Pittsburgh thing has more to it than what we see on the surface. They've kept it real hush-hush, not to hurt him with other teams. But I'm hearing that the front office of Mike Tomlin had a real issue with uh, Bell. Um, A.B. saying, kind of sprinkling the same things out, saying nobody's rich after him. I think there's a disconnect. I'm thinking the old leadership before the old man died, this wouldn't happen with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. The younger Rooney comes in. He's more of a bro than a businessman, per se. And he's trying to be the teammate's friend rather than be their boss. And that's a problem. I'm thinking that's what is is the issue. Also, I'm hearing wherever AB lands, Bell could follow to reunite with AB Miami and San Francisco have been discussed San Francisco would be an interesting spot considering how you know now with Kaepernick be or or not Kaepernick excuse me with Garoppolo um back he'll be able to uh have some some uh targets and have some options in that offense and thus and thus, San Francisco could be a legitimate threat. That's a scary thought of Garoppolo, Kittle, Brown, and Bell all on mm-hmm. the same offense. Oh, but the thing is, with Bell, Brown, Kittle, everything in a Shanahan offense would be great. Garoppolo's got to be the one to fall in line. Because even the play where he was injured, leading up to that injury, Yes, there was tangible success, but there were already seeds of discontent. Shanahan wanting to do things his way, Garoppolo wanting to do things his way. If they can have a come-to-Jesus moment and get those stars, Jared Goff is going to have problems in L.A. because, again, that division is going to be insane. Save him, baby Jesus. Help him, Tom Cruise. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, Thank any chance to reference Talladega Nights? I have nothing for you, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> uh, Jason, one word to describe the game on Sunday. Snooze fast. Hyphenated, but count. Brandon? Um, fine. That's a good word. Uh, I'll say fine. Eric? Semi-expected. I've had a couple different ones that come through my mind, but I'm, I think I'm going to go with struggle. And the reason I'm going to go with struggle is because I think that the defense has proved once again, the old, like we talked about, the axiom rings true. Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. When these defenses needed their biggest performance of the season, both of them provided it. It's just that the New England offense, and especially the ground game on that drive of Sony Michelle, that made the difference in the 13-3 final score and the sixth ring tying the Pittsburgh Steelers to the most in NFL history for the New England Patriots. And they, they All we're doing is just waiting for the Thanos snap and get everything over with. <laughs> I, I, I'll add on to what you said about struggle. I, I think it was a struggle not just on the field but off the field um, because this really does, this Super Bowl really has emphasized the split in the football fan base, and I wonder how the ratings were, and you know oh, what the network what the network was thinking. Because you know, while yes, the hardcore football fans loved this game because it is that old school hard nosed defensive battle. A lot of casual NFL fans are saying, oh, this was the worst Super Bowl ever because it was low scoring. Oh, I can Eric, tell you what the ratings were. I was going to say, Eric, I think I read somewhere that this is like the lowest rated Super Bowl in like the last five seasons. Oh, go back farther than that. Lowest rated in the last 10. So, yeah, I mean. 100.7 million. You know what the scary thing is, though? Just real quick here before you continue that thought, Eric, is Mm -hmm. I somehow doubt the NFL is finding 100 million people watching to be a disappointment, though. Eh, Somewhat of a disappointment, but this is really, and Brandon talked about this, there's the schism between your casuals that wanted offense and your hardcore fans that appreciated defensive battle. I'm more one of the hardcore fans Mm -hmm. while... I'm not normally a defensive fan. I was tuned in in a very interesting game. But there's another schism that's really on deck. With all of this and free agency and players making moves and having this towards a player mentality closer to the NBA to where you get paid, but you also move somewhere and win, this is going to be a schism of ideology. The Rams, like the Eagles and other teams, go out, free agency heavy, pay stars, and let's win now. Whereas with the Patriots, it's we draft carefully, we don't do free agency, we're very particular on if you fit in our system, we'll keep you as long as we can until you no longer fit in our system, and off you go. So if you're looking at not just for the fans, but for the players, 
They would have loved to have seen a Rams win. But for your more diehards and everybody who's a mentality of old falling in line, and that's the best way that Patriots and continuing their dynasty, they're loving it right now. That that actually makes me uh, think of something. Did you guys see the um, the roundtable that they did during the pregame show with um, Boomer? Um, I fr- it was Boomer, Coach, and, and Belichick sitting down, and they were talking to Belichick about a bunch of different things, and he was mentioning how, you know, he takes away the phones, all of that. And it, it, this really was a war between the old and the new. It was the mm-hmm. oldest head coach versus the, the youngest. And the old school mentality won out. Yeah, let's let's call a spade a spade here. Sean McVay got completely outcoached. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. His, his, had... his spot coach was not on point that game. McVay has potential to be a very good coach in the future in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to take this as a learning lesson, though, and not let it be his be-all, end-all. Because we've seen coaches get to this game and have moments where their teams have underperformed and it's completely wrecked their careers. We've seen other coaches get to this game, have these kind of moments where their teams supremely underperformed, and then they were able to bounce back and translate it into having extended careers worth something down the road for their franchises. The Rams have to hope that for Sean McVay and for Jared Goff that this was a learning experience to lead to something better. I think, especially considering how they improved from last year to this year, I think they will use this as a learning experience. I think I think they mentioned how last year's loss in the divisional round was a learning experience for them coming into this year. So the same's going to go this year with this loss in the Super Bowl. Especially if the window is indeed shrinking. If more teams are going to jump on the Rams mentality of, okay, we're going to load up and we're not going to go through the draft. Because you already see teams trying to go ahead and go through getting these younger coaches, already trying to build Sean McVay entirely prematurely, his coaching tree in the NFL. They're going to copy this too. They're like, all right. We need this in free agency. It worked to get us this far. We're going to go get it in free agency. That happens. The Rams know it's either pounce now or pounce never. I got a, I got a trivia question. What is Tom Brady's kryptonite in the Super Bowl? Eli Manning. God. <laughs> no, no. Well, you're, you're close. The NFC East. Oh, you're right. You're right because they all did also. Three, they did also all lose three last Super Bowl year. losses that Brady and Belichick have suffered come from teams from the NFC East. What is the NFC East primarily known for? Defense. Not high scoring. Not high powered offenses. They're smash mouth defenses. That have stepped up. Defense can win you championships. Ask the Baltimore Ravens. Trent Dilfer has a ring because of them. Well, and not to mention Brad Johnson and Tampa Bay Bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren Sapp even... said, said, you score 17, we'll win you the game. Their defense was like 16.4 points per game that season. 
ring. <laughs> Let's even take it back further to the, arguably the best defense of all time, the reason that Jim McMahon has a Super Bowl ring, the 85 Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. That was – Tony Eason. I mean, has- you still you still have – you still have Walter Payton in that backfield, so I mean, you can't contribute all that to the defense. Ah, but at the same time, this is the and who did the Bears? Who did the Bears beat in that Super Bowl? Yeah, New England. That's right. But they that's were, the thing. They were the first ever team to win three road games to get to the Super Bowl, and at the time, because it was only a ten-team format, they were the lowest ever seed to make the Super Bowl, as they were the five seed in the AFC that year. But, see, that's the thing, too, um, with with what Jason said right there. It's not just the defense. Yes, defense, you know, the old axiom, defense wins championships. But it's also, on the offensive level, it seems, the teams that have the better running game and ball management are the better teams over these high-powered, pass-first, pass-long type offenses. We talked about this all postseason, though, that the team that could control the ball during these postseason games was going to be the team that won. Exactly. That's one of the reasons that I actually picked New England over Kansas City was because I figured that Brady and Belichick and Sonny Michelle and James White were going to be able to keep the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes Mm -hmm. and that high-powered offense. And they did an overtime, and it gave them an AFC title. All right, let's go ahead and move forward with the show here because we do have a couple of other things to get to. Let's talk about your favorite commercials from the game. Jason, which one was yours? Um, you want me to be honest? I really yeah. wasn't impressed with all of any of them. I mean, the, 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 Bud, Light, the Bud Light Game of Thrones commercial – was probably one of the better ones, but I would have to say the uh, MVP commercial with all the past uh, MVPs. I want to say that was my favorite. The players for the hundredth year ceremony that was pretty epic. Yeah. Franco Harris, Franco Harris with the immaculate reception at a reception was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. The commer- was it me or did the commercials suck this year? Yeah, there weren't well, all that I- many that were really all that memorable. I'm kind of having a hard time myself right now trying to remember all of the ones that were good. I'm going to give my most valuable commercial to M&M's with Christina Applegate and the new candies that they have with the candy built in with their M&M's built into the candy bar. A, the product is actually pretty good. Our local Walmart has them, and I, I eat the almond ones a lot. And B, it's nice to see Christina Applegate land on her feet after a breast cancer scare not that long ago. Mm, true. I, I give you that. But, I mean, the perfect melding in my mind, and I heard about them taking a different approach to this commercial, and that would have made it better. But... With that Bud Light Game of Thrones commercial, it was the only one that left me completely speechless. I mean, it was in a good way. I was just like, wow, that happened. But if it hadn't been Bud Light poking fun at themselves and had it been, like, say, Coors Light or Miller Light after the whole corn syrup commercial, had they taken that approach, it would have been... 
like epic Wendy's on Twitter trolling level. <laughs> All right, we both listen to the Pat McAfee show. We get your point. <laughs> Hashtag for the brand. I'm not gonna lie. Hashtag McAfee for. <laughs> Cause they, cause the McAfee show said the same thing. Yes, uh, and I, I listened to that, and I'm like, you know what? That made a I lot. I think of it landed as good. I don't. I, I think it would have had the the complete reverse effect. I think it would have bombed if it would have been anybody but Bud Light. I will say this much: Bud Light making fun of the corn syrup delivery earlier the, in the game was pretty fun. I was just gonna say that I think is actually my favorite. That one was the funniest to me. Oh, I do. I did like the uh, new um, uh, Hyundai uh, SUV that they rolled out. Are you referring? The, the flaming Hot uh, Doritos, Chance the Rapper, and the boy bands. I, I had to give credit to that one. I was like, yeah, that was well done. I actually was underwhelmed by that. I had really high expectations for that commercial going in, and honestly, I wasn't all that impressed with it. But, uh, but I will say, though, personal favorite, especially because I watch most expensivists all, every single week, Two chains in the Expensify commercial. I'm like, you could not have done that for that product, that name. You couldn't have had it any other way. They did that right. All right, so that officially wraps up our coverage of Super Bowl Sunday. The AAF officially launches on television this Saturday night on the same network that broadcast Super Bowl 53 CBS. And actually managed to get a couple of plugs in for them during the course of the game, which I think will be huge to the initial week viewership. Mm-hmm. I have a three-part question for all of you, and I will start with the most casual of the fans that are on the show here, Brandon. Okay. Will you be watching the debut on Saturday night? Um, I may tune. I may tune into it a little bit. Um, who's play- What are the teams that are playing during that game? San Diego Fleet at San Antonio or Atlanta at Orlando? How is that working? Is one going to be on CBS and the other CBSSN, or is it a regional type thing? Split country regional broadcast. So I'm guessing we're all getting Atlanta, Orlando. Most likely, which is fine for me because I'll talk about that a little bit later on as to why, but... Do you plan on watching it uh, the game on Saturday night? Um, I may, I probably won't watch the whole game, but I may tune in for like a little bit just to see how it is, and to see how weird it's going to be. Like some of the rules sound interesting, so I'm going to be interested to see how that works. I it's going to be more of a week by week thing for me. I sent you guys a link to the ESPN article. We'll we'll attach the article from ESPN.com to the kickoff show as well, so that way you guys can get an idea of what he's talking about with the rule changes and stuff. It is Charlie Ebersole of uh, the Ebersole family fame, Dick Ebersole, the former president over in NBC Sports, his son, also the guy who was behind the XFL 30 for 30 on ESPN, and Bill Polian, the guy who used to run the Indianapolis Colts behind the league. All right, my second question for you is this. Do you have a rooting interest for any team in this league? No, not at least not at the moment because there's no New York team. So 
that's part of my reason why I don't care as much about this league is that there really isn't any distinctive team that I can really get behind. That brings me to the third question here. In your opinion, are there enough teams for this country to care about this league right now? Um, where are all the it teams is, located? I know Atlanta, is, Orlando. Atlanta, Orlando, Birmingham, Memphis. You're going to have to help me out here, Eric. Okay. San Diego, Antonio, you said. San Diego, Arizona, Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. So, I mean... See, this kind of plays into the old, the the very old now uh, debate with certain regions about even though football is king there, it seems like they don't care as much about pro as they do about college. So that's going to be very interesting to see how the ratings and how the attendance is for a Birmingham team. For, you know, obviously Atlanta has a, an NFL team that does well as already, so that's a little different. So, you know, Atlanta, I'm sure they'll do well. But for a Memphis uh, team, for a Salt Lake City team, um, so it... Do I think they're going to be, you know, at least okay? Yes. But the the two big issues I see, especially when it comes to the teams, when it comes to marketability throughout the country, is one, you don't have any teams in any big markets. So those markets are going to, are not going to care at all. And for two, you're going to have, you're going to have to see, you know, this is really going to be a test to see how big football really is in some of these markets. Jason, are you ready? Yes. Will you be watching Saturday night? I have more interest in hanging out with a dishwasher at the local BW3s in New Jersey. (laughs) Say that. Do you have a favorite team in this league? No, because the West Virginia Hootows was denied entrance. Do you think we need to see an expansion beyond 10 teams for the country to care? Yes, West Virginia Hootows, Kentucky Buckets, 2020, make it happen. It can be done. I feel like the Kentucky Buckets is a thing that genuinely needs to happen in one of these leagues. And again, I mean, the Louisville, the new sponsor, KFC, Colonel Sanders, why not? It's either them or I know they I've got to make make the joke, okay? The token black man's voting for KFC to sponsor a team. (laughs) (laughs) Come on now. Next thing you know, instead of sponsored by Gatorade, they're going to have purple drink. The the only way that this would be e- even better is if it were a basketball team we were talking about instead and they played in the KFC Yum Center. I mean, I think the big three might be playing in the KFC Yum Center this season no. since they've expanded. Who knows? <laughs> no, they'll go play in the Famous Bowl. <laughs> For only $3, you can't beat the price. <laughs> Exactly. Although the, the spice one, eh, it's got to be made right. 
Oh, Christ. All right, Eric, I know you and I have had the most discussion about this off the air because the two of us have the biggest rooting interest in this league here. Will you be watching Saturday night? Saturday night and the Memphis-Birmingham game Sunday afternoon as well. I'll be taking in both. See, that's the one thing, real real quick, that's the one thing that I feel is going to hurt this league is that, well, I mean, for the fans, you know, who are, you know, who they seem to be catering to. So, you know, the college football fans will be more used to it. But a lot of the NFL fans, it's going to be weird for them to be turning on football on Saturday. So Saturday, I think the Saturday ratings are going to be a lot lower than the Sunday games are going to be. I really don't think so, because with a lot of these off-season leagues, they made their money not just on Sunday afternoon, but Friday and Saturday night. I'll even turn to the Arena Football League as an example. A lot of their marquee games were even Saturday afternoon. That's what really changed things up. I feel like Saturday afternoon would work better than Saturday night. I would think in a, in a Saturday afternoon spot where like a CBS Prime, like a CBS SEC game was, mm-hmm. maybe would probably work. But at the same time, though, with this being championship season for CBS, they're going to start switching over to golf coverage. They're going to start switching over to college basketball coverage as we get closer and closer to both the Masters on CBS right around Easter, as well as the NCAA tournament starting. Very next true. Month. Very true. Eric, where do your rooting alliance? Where do your rooting allegiances lie for the AAF? Or- Orlando, primarily, even though, yes, we do see a return of the head ball coach. And if I can take one Saturday and head down to a game, it's only a two-hour drive. I gladly would. Secondarily, Atlanta, mainly because Michael Vick is the offensive coordinator. Michael Vick has stepped down as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. He's out. What the? When did this news break? Uh, two days ago. Yeah, well, they got to update their media guide, then. Fucker me. Fuck. Well, uh, go Apollos, then. I only <laughs> have the one team now. <laughs> go ahead and, uh, go ahead and check that out. You can Google the story once we get off of the air. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that one of my friends who was going to be involved with a secondary league-affiliated podcast, but got shut down by CBS Sports, apparently. I won't name names. I won't mention anybody in particular, but... I know somebody who was going to be involved with it. The CBS Sports Line stepped in and shut them down because they're doing their own league-affiliated podcast. Damn, I figured as much. Now, although another secondary thing for Atlanta, and it's good that they're going to be playing at the Georgia State Stadium because they're going to have some interesting competition, especially the middle to late part of the season when MLS starts up because of uh, the success of Atlanta United. So I am going to be still a little bit curious in that regard. And my final question to you is, do you think the the league will need to see expansion in the forthcoming years in order to survive? Not next year, but I think if they go well enough, they've got a good 18 base for year one and year two. But I would... I think it's 10 teams. No, it is eight. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Eight teams for year one and year two, but I wouldn't mind seeing expansion to 10 or 12 teams in, say, 2021. 
I think that's the right time. Because, again, going back to a sport that I mentioned, the big three, they started out with eight teams, had success and built everything in a strong foundation year one, wrapped up going on at year two. Now they've announced within the past month four expansion teams and are making themselves a much bigger event going into year three in June. So, yeah, for two years, I think you're good with eight. Here's the thing about um, the whole expansion thing and and how this league is going to be moving forward that I just thought of. This year, this year especially, this year and next year, like the first week you can expect however much ratings you want because there's Mm going to be that hype. But Mm -hmm. in order to be successful... And in order to not jump the gun like what has happened with plenty of other uh, secondary leagues in the past, you have to temper your expectations, especially considering where all these teams are located. You don't have the giant markets. You don't have a giant fan base to bring into this. So you're going to have relatively low ratings numbers. So you're going to have to expect that and not be worried about it when it happens. And I'm actually going to kind of piggyback off of that example, both in other leagues that wound up not getting off the ground and leagues that are off the ground but in different sports. You have, while you want big markets right away, you don't want big markets too soon Mm -hmm. for example the a11 league they were going into some of the old usfl markets they had new jersey they had tampa bay they had dallas their biggest hurdle getting the teams in california that they wanted specifically la i think that was one of the key reasons why their investors flipped and went into a smaller eventually failed format the fall experimental football league had they adjusted their expectations had they done everything that they planned to i think we would be sitting here talking about the a11 even instead of the american alliance of football right now so that's why you don't want everything big but you want to have bigger markets in mind look at major league rugby they're not in los angeles but they're planning to expand to Los Angeles going into what would be their third season. They're planning they've expanded into DC, what would be their third season next year. They waited after last year, building the foundation of success, teams from Seattle, Austin, Texas, New Orleans, etc. First market that they planned that they knew was not going to be part of that inaugural season, Rugby United New York. They're playing right now. Everything is information, set up, bigger schedule, off they go. So I do think that guys like Charlie Ebersole, Bill Polian, will have those big markets in mind, but just not right now. And here, and that's kind of... Wait, real quick, Brandon, real yeah. quick. I kind of want to chime in here as well, because that's actually the opposite approach to what the XFL is taking as the first officially announced XFL franchise just this past week is Dallas which is one of the top 10 markets in the entire country. But see, Dallas is a little different. And 
here's the thing, and and I mentioned it before with the other ones. Yes, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how spring football does. Although, you know, areas like that are more used to seeing spring football. So, but the thing about a lot of the bigger markets, especially to more well-rounded sports fans that aren't just all football, their year is split into seasons, literally. And after February, after that beginning of February, you're thinking football, or not football, you're thinking basketball and hockey, and then eventually come March, baseball. So you have other sports there, so there's not, unless you're a huge, huge football fan, and football is your ultimate sport, and you don't really watch any of the other big four, you're not, you're not really focused on, ooh, there's another football league, let me watch this, when, especially considering, I mean, a lot of the, uh, big issue with this, and obviously it's yet to be seen. They've gotten some good names in the league, some good ex-NFL players, but it's that it's that situation to a lot of fans are going to say, oh, these are just, you know, either underrated guys or NFL rejects. It's not going to be as high quality, so why should I watch lower quality football in the football offseason when I could be watching the NBA or NHL or MLB, especially in bigger markets where those other leagues are very successful. Uh, MLB ratings. Oh, go ahead, Harry. I was just going to say, let's talk about the quality of player, though, because I don't necessarily know that I agree with that statement that we're going to see a lesser quality of player here. No, no, I'm not saying we are, but but that's going to be the... That that's just going to be the uh, the perception. That's all. I, but at the same time, the X or excuse me, not the XFL. That doesn't launch until twenty twenty. The AAF has the opportunity to state that among the players originally signed for the league in their quarterback draft, two of them ended up on NFL and on NFL franchises before the twenty nine the twenty eighteen nineteen NFL season even came to an end including the number one overall pick in their quarterback draft, Josh Johnson, who ended up as the starting quarterback for Washington. Oh, no, yeah, they can definitely use that as a selling point. But I'm just saying to a lot of fans, that is going to be the initial thought. Well, I mean, it's going to be the initial thought, yes, but let's take a look at some things. You talk about this, and you're saying, oh, lesser quality. A lot of these guys... They would, and they've even advertised it this way, they would do very well against a lot of the twos for a lot of these NFL teams. And with the NBA, uh, let's face it, do you have quality teams at the top? Yes. But the league, just like it has been in past decades, very top-heavy. Ratings overall down. Major League Baseball, ratings overall down. Leagues are top-heavy. You only got a couple of teams who can really spend and compete, even more so this year. Another reason why they're talking about the DH rule. So you have those that follow the big four sports, and you even follow have those like in your Northeast. It's college hockey. It's NHL. It's also lacrosse territory coming to this time of year. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be competing with that. So I do agree, but at the same time, 
if you look at the overall perspective, even with those big four, slightly lower quality football in the viewing public's eyes now more than ever is better than top quality in other sports. I will tell you right now, and I've said this for months, and I've said this for years, and and I'll say it going forward as well. You could not pay me to watch an NBA game anymore. I have no interest. There's just – it's not the NBA that it used to be. It's more about the individual player. It's not about the team concept anymore. To Mm. me, I will sit and watch a full baseball game, no problem. But you could not get me to care about about an NBA game. I will watch hockey as well, but there mm-hmm. are other nights. Of, there are other nights of the week where you can watch baseball, where you can watch hockey, where you can watch basketball. If you're interested, absolutely, that's true. This right here is going to be a two day a week situation where you're going to get a game on Saturday night and then a pair of games on Sunday through either TNT Bleacher Report Live, which I do believe the games are free on Bleacher Report Live, if I'm not mistaken, hmm. and on the NFL Network as well. So you're already hitting the target fan base here by having these games on NFL Network in their actuality, in addition to having the national coverage on Saturday nights with CBS Sports Network. True. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a situation where I think, can, like I said, can it be successful? Absolutely. Um, but they're going to have to temper their expectations in this in this first season because, like I said, especially in the bigger markets, unless you're a diehard football fan, you are going to have other things that you're going to be watching. And I think with how they structure everything, how they structure the contracts, how they have with some of the rules, which we're going to get to, because I got a bone to pick with a couple of them. I think they are tempering their expectations. They're saying... We're not going to be the NFL. We're never going to be the NFL. We're going to be compliments to this. This is going to be a building block, and this is going to be really what the USFL was before a certain man got in there and went and wrecked everything. Not going to name names, even though they're in a certain position to where I really can't stand them and have the nerve to call the whole league small potatoes, but that's a rant for another day. All right, Eric, flip the script here. Uh, Go ahead and ask me the same questions I asked you. So, number one, will you indeed be watching Saturday night? I have a toy show that I'm helping a friend out with Saturday afternoon. If I am home in time, I will be flipping the television on to CBS to catch the first game, yes. Okay, and do you have a particular rooting interest? I feel like this is a mute question to ask me for the reason that you mentioned earlier in the show. How am I not going to root for the old ball coach? It's I, you and me both. That's why I was like, "Hey, as, I got to ask." As, no. as, you know, as a University of Florida fan, I have to root for Steve, Steve Spurrier. Therefore, by process of default, I am an Orlando Apollos fan. Now, with everything that you've mentioned. Do you think that they, with the format as it is and how the league is set up, do you think that they have enough teams to help them at least for this season? For this season, yes. Going forward, no. 
And the reason I say that is because I think Brandon is on to something by stating that a, lot, a vast majority of the country is not touched by these teams. And the mm. problem with that is that you are missing major markets. You're missing New York. You're missing Boston. You're missing Los Angeles. You're missing all of these major markets that could have potentially large viewerships for secondary football. And in the process of doing that, you're going to hurt the bottom line. You mentioned expectations. That's going to be the key point here. And they mm-hmm. tempered the expectations to the point of not expecting too much and getting back what they put into it. Now, and I'll ask you this as a bonus question because we've touched on it a bit. Do you see them expanding into these major markets like I do? And if so, when? It's going to be at least two or three years down the road in order to get a solid foundation of both backing and as well as a rule base that is similar but different enough to stand out from the standard of play in the NFL. Here's the other thing, too, about them expanding into the larger markets. I think they're going to have to do their market research on these to see if it's even really viable. Because, like I said, and, and you know, you, you guys can, you know, point to all the numbers and everything. And, yes, a lot of the other sports are starting to decline in ratings. But in those bigger markets especially in New York, Boston, L.A. Basketball and, well, for L.A. basketball, but for New York and Boston, even with the ratings going down a little bit, baseball is still a big draw and a big thing in both of those huge markets. So, yes, the beginning of the season, you're free and clear. Oh, and not to mention hockey as well for both of them. So you have that to compete with as well. So Mm -hmm. throughout the season, you're going to have very stiff competition. Yes, I agree with what Harry said with the whole um, how this is, you know, like how football is. It's once a week or, you know, overall twice a week. So you have that set time where you can say okay I'll put hockey or baseball to the side for just tonight and watch this game um so it may work but like we've seen in the past with um with other uh you know other expansion leagues uh for football they haven't done all that great in in New York no and like the hitmen, the hitmen didn't do uh, the greatest. Well, they will again. It wasn't until Wally Richardson stepped in at quarterback, and the team didn't have one guy like Charles Polary to hate. That's when New York really even cared more. But that aside, the one benefit that they have is time. As it stands, your championship game is going to be the end of April. That's right around the time of the hockey playoffs where they would begin going into, well, maybe about halfway through as you're going into May and they'll really kick up as you go towards the finals in June. And that's your first month or so of the baseball season as things are getting underway. Aside from opening day, you're really not interested in baseball until you hit Memorial Day and going forward. So they take these first couple of years with that set schedule even if they expand. Now, normally I would say an ideal league would be 16 teams. I think for the AAF, 
if you can keep it at, say, 12, 6 and 6 with hitting some of these big markets, that way you don't bleed over really any farther past May, you still get that prime territory for yourself. Even if Boston, Bruins aren't in the playoffs, you can watch football. New York, Knicks aren't in the playoffs. They're not getting big-name players. Rangers are out of it. You've got football. And then by the time it ends, oh, look, New York City FC, New York Red Bulls, Yankees, everything is right in that sweet spot to where you haven't missed much, and on you go. That is a good point. This is probably, as long as they finish the season before the playoffs, it is, for NBA and NHL, is a good time slot. Yeah, and that's other leagues, aside from even the USFL, these other expansion leagues, they did not do that. They're like, we want to be in the fall, we want to be in the fall. You're naturally going to fail. That's why stepping up into really what is normally the arena football time span of the calendar, although that's getting more and more nuts, this is going to be great for them because you're dealing with the least amount of competition. Honestly, the best time, and I know it's hard on a logistical level for multiple reasons because of how football is played and and because of where it's going to be played, especially in this league. But you want to know what the best time, in my opinion, to put a secondary uh, football league would be? Because it would be right in that time where, you know, um, where... uh, it's far enough away from the NFL season, so you know those football fans are getting that gnawing feeling of wanting to watch football again. But and and also you don't have as much competition. How long is the league going to be? It's going from now until when? Oh, uh, right. The, the inaugural season, ten weeks and a two week playoff. So, so that's weeks. So that's what? Oh, twelve weeks. Yeah, 10-week regular season, semifinals, championship game, end of April. I so would honestly I would honestly say the best time to start. Now, yes, in the middle of the season, you're going to have to compete with the playoffs. But I would start it in May and have it end in July. Because, uh, because think, July, you're not... You, you don't really have much of any competition other than baseball. Weather. And here's why. Uh, I think the reason that they're doing this in association with the NFL and having the league this early is so that the players that stand out in this league, the NFL can cherry pick for the year 2019. True. And, and I heard yeah. what you said about weather, Eric, and yes, that, that was the main thing I was talking about before because a lot of these teams playing – in the south, it's going to be really hot in, in the dog days of summer. Even if you're playing in the farther north, I've been in 100-degree days in D.C. Oh, oh I agree. I agree. But and for something like this, you want to have your talent available. Mm-hmm. You see it in the CFL all the time. They don't start until July. By the time they're halfway through their season and going to their playoffs, some of their top talent picked off by the NFL. Arena football, now that they're getting back into what they were May, June, July leading up to the season, a lot of their top talent 
picked off for NFL training camps. So I think they did this going back to when they were on NBC. They made a huge profit from it until things spiraled out of control. This is going to be that sweet spot. Rather, have competition during the regular season and be done by the playoffs than to compete against the playoffs. Because then you're mm-hmm. also talking about TV situations. That is true. Although CBS doesn't own any of the rights to any of the other other uh, leagues. so They don't, but at the same time, you're competing against other networks. Yes. All right, uh, Eric, you had a couple of things to say about the rules in the AAF that you think are going to potentially be an issue going forward. And then we're going to go ahead and tie a nice little ribbon on tonight's episode. Okay, uh, two of the main rules I want to focus on are good, the two-point conversions mandatory after every touchdown. I like the idea, but I would wish... If you don't want to kick an extra point, fine. A lot of leagues are going, like, away from that trend, and that's okay. But I don't want to force teams to go for two every single time. You can have it like the XFL did, like flag football and stuff does. Give them an option. Go from different distances for one or two points after every score. You hardly change anything, but you still have that mentality of, okay, we're not going to kick the extra point. We're going to have offense versus defense. I'd be fine with that. Overtime procedure. They're going full Kansas playoff here. 10-yard line, each team gets a possession first and goal. I appreciate while it puts the extra pressure on the defense to make a goal line stand. I would like to have the offense have a little bit more success necessary in order to achieve a result. So I wouldn't even say go to the 25 like they do in college. Maybe the 35, but no farther back than midfield. I would say the 20, honestly. And I would, I would be on, I would be on Eric's side here. I would say the twenty-five, like they do in college, just because that would keep some level of consistency with the players that may have played in the NCAA that's, game. That's true. Now, one other thing I would like them to implement and see, a little bit of a format borrowed from Canada. You keep that format like that, but for the regular season, you limit a certain number of possessions, and Canadian rules. If after two possessions, each team offense or has the ball twice, it's still tied, the game is a tie. You don't have to like go strictly to two, but I would say stop at four. So that way you don't keep going on and on and on and on and on. Well, I think with the rules in uh in the AAF with them not having extra points and everything, I think that's going to heavily reduce um, these teams having that. But on the flip side, without being able to kick field goals, you're going to be forced to score touchdowns, so it's going to make it much harder at the uh, same time. Wrong. No, they still kick field goals. 
Oh, okay. There's just no extra points. Yeah, I was just about to say, there are field goals in the league. Each team was assigned a kicker and a punter. Oh, okay. Oh, Nick Folk. Nick Folk, how did you get a job? <laughs> yeah, my, my biggest concern about the league here, and then we'll go ahead and sign off for the week because we're coming up on about an hour and 15, and that's about what I wanted to go for tonight in order to do our Super Bowl wrap-up and discussion for the AAF. The, the biggest thing about the league here is I kind of agree with what Brandon said there, though. I think with the format of the mandatory two-point conversion attempt after touchdown, I do believe that we're going to see a significant de- uh, decrease in the amount of games that end up going towards a tie. I also feel like just on the basis of the fact that this is a startup, there's going to be a lot of very badly missed match contests as well. And we're going to see a lot of blowouts early to the point that mm-hmm. overtime becomes irrelevant. True. The the one thing I will say real quick um, about the rules. First off, while I understand what they're doing, I agree with Eric that they should have at least given them the opportunity of doing some sort of you know one point uh, thing. So mm-hmm. that may because it's also going to feel weird to a lot of football fans seeing you know sixteen eight or twenty four to sixteen scores. You know yeah. we're used to seeing the seven the seven. Uh, the, the intervals of sevens, you know? Um, so that's going to be weird. Um, but another thing, the one thing I do like, especially with how much the NFL has changed their rules and have, has basically made a moot point, is their onside kick um, thing. Yeah, the uh, first, the, the fourth and twelve conversion, offensive mm-hmm. conversion. I do believe that that actually could be something interesting going forward as well. Because it mm-hmm. gives another excitement play to there while limiting the possibility for injuries that you could potentially see on an onside kick. Mm-hmm. Now, I would <laughs> love to see them expand it from the different constrictions that they have, but the setup overall is great. 28-yard line, 4th and 12, on you go. But limiting it to where, and again, they don't have to make these changes until at the very least after this season or maybe after the 2020 season, but so you have to be trailing by at least 17 with five minutes to go. I appreciate that bit of strategy, but I would hope over time that they loosen up that just a little bit. Uh, I, I believe it's actually, uh, you either have to be, oh wait, did you say down by 17 or with five minutes left in the game? Yes. Okay, yeah, either of those scenarios, either if you're down by three scores or if there's five minutes left in the game and you're trailing. Yeah, if you do one or the other, I would be perfect for it. Just not both. I disagree because I think that it could allow for more comeback potential by allowing the teams that are down by double digits to have the opportunity to get the ball back quicker. But That's just me. Yeah, and like I say, you don't have to have both of those restrictions because it's 17 with five points left. You've got to score. Three well, I think times. it is one or the other. I don't think it needs to be. No. Both. Oh, right it needs now, to be both. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Then I agree with you on that. No, then. it doesn't. Oh, okay. Eric is incorrect here. It is either 17 points or five minutes left in the game trailing. Really? Because the way that yeah. I read it, it was both. So no. my mistake, if they have it as one or the other, then I'm completely fine. Completely yeah, I, fine. I, I do believe that when I read the uh, write-up on CBS Sports Network, on cbssports.com, it said that either a team had to be trailing by 17 points 
or it had to be five minutes left in the game with a team behind. No specific set number as far as how many points they had to be behind, just if they were trailing in the fourth quarter with five minutes left or less left. Yeah, I'm in that case, I'm good with it. All right. Uh, we will discuss, I'm sure those of us that watched it will discuss it a little bit next week. But if you're going to be listening to the kickoff next week, you're going to be listening for the year-end awards. And it will be the, the second annual episode of the kickoff presents the year-end awards here. For the NFL, we will discuss player, rookie, coach, moment, surprise, and disappointment. For college, we will discuss player, coach, moment, surprise and disappointment we will award our biggest flops and our biggest shocks we will award who we thought was the best player at both levels of the game for college and the nfl our best coaches of the game from the college and the nfl and we will discuss maybe kind of what our expectations are going to be going into the 2019 nfl season i said when we did the year wrap-up last year that with everything that was going on in buffalo i expected buffalo to be a six-win team this year that's exactly what my bills were they were a six-win team we will talk about potential free agency. We will talk about where we think our teams will go. After next week, you will not hear the kickoff talk football again until April when we come back for our draft preview and our draft review. We do have something special planned for you, the return of something we did last year, but we'll talk to you more about that next week. Jason, where can people find you online for social media? Um, usually I'm asleep. Um, if I'm not asleep, you can look for me at TurkeyGlue822 on Twitter. You can also find him in the W2M Facebook group and by looking for Jason Teasley on Facebook. Eric, where can people find you online? At Squid Sportshead on Twitter. And what should be returning soccer to the max, hopefully within the next week or two, now that... Training camps and friendlies are getting into high gear. And I've been speaking with our executive producer, uh, point of viewer, back up and in the works. I just have to keep reminding him on a couple of things. Also, uh, especially for this podcast, um, potential sponsorship. That's all I'm going to say. Possible expansion of the show to be talked about next week as well. We'll get to that once the dust settles on how week one of the AAF goes. We'll go from there. Pornhub is not an official sponsor, Eric. Not yet. that one. Yet. Not yet. Yet, but again, that wouldn't be for this show. That would be for point of viewer. I would have to just get them in the works. <laughs> That's fair. Brandon, where can people find you online and other places here on the w uh, They can find me at Bisco underscore Gotham SN on Twitter and um, hopefully soon. Um, should, if if everything goes as planned, maybe next week, bring back uh, Raw and SmackDown reviews. There's something else that Brandon and I have in the works once the kickoff goes into hiatus for the regular season as well. Bisco, why don't you tell everybody about that? Yep, we've got How the War Was Won, talking about the Monday Night Wars between Raw and Nitro, uh, going throughout the whole time from 95 all the way up until 2001. Should be fun. The debut episode of How the World Was Won will cover WCW's Bash at the Beach 1995 and In Your House Number 2, The Lumberjacks. 
Both of those pay-per-views occur in July of 1995. It is the last WCW pay-per-view before How the World Was One gets started. Therefore, we're going back to it. This is going to be a whole year of absolute crap, probably. Um, more or less. <laughs> be ready. Be ready for a shit ton of Dungeon of Doom. Oh God. You're telling me, homie. You're well, would you rather trade spots to the fact that in about, oh, four months' time, I'm going to have to cover three separate soccer tournaments that are going to be going on simultaneously? Good luck with I that. Cover, <laughs> Thank I would you. I would rather cover soccer than the Dungeon of Doom again. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, God, the Dungeon of Doom was awful. H-E-B the Eagle on Twitter, even though admittedly I barely use it. You can find me much more actively on Facebook, over in the Chair Shot group, and over on Wrestling to the Max forums. Also, I'm online on the website at w2mnet.com, which we are a presentation of. In addition, I do the Raw Reaction every Monday night over for the Chair Shot Radio Network with 411Manias, Tony Acero, and Andrew Balaz of the Chair Shot. So for Jason Teasley, Eric Watkins, Brandon Biscabing, I'm Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to The Kickoff here on the W2M Network, a presentation of W2Mnet.com, available in all of your favorite podcast listening places such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, Podbean, CastBox. Hey, Brandon, guess what? Spotify is here. And Glacier's still a dick. Thanks for listening, everybody. Year-end awards next week here on The Kickoff on the W2M Network.